Well, we're still before noon, so good morning. It's uh, good to be here. I missed last week, missed being with you all. I was on the West Coast, and uh, it was good to be with the Lewises and to worship with them and meet the church that's meeting there in San Francisco with with them. And um, it was a good time to be with them for a little bit. And uh, I know that um, probably if you're like me, you know, I feel connected to that work because I feel connected to them. They still very much feel connected to this work. So because I know that we miss them and um, it's mutual, I think, by all of us. It is good to have some visitors, and we're, we're thankful that you're here. And uh, some of you we know, and some of you we know very well, even. And others, we're, we're just meeting for the first time, or maybe the second time, and so we're thankful for, for your being here as well. Almost uh, totally jumped the gun and, and cut Richard off, so, and I know he would have been very disappointed if he didn't get to get back up here. So, uh, luckily, we, we changed up the worship a little bit today, just uh, for the sake of doing so, and also just to kind of go along with the lesson and and um, I think there's something that's good. You know, we want to have more times where we are reading God's word together, where it's public and where we can hear it and we can be thinking the same thoughts. And so I really appreciate uh, William kind of instigating that. I want to talk about our relationship with God today. And what I want to do is I want to talk about one specific way that we have a relationship with God. And it's a way that maybe is very comforting for some people, but maybe is a little bit uncomfortable for other people. I think that for some of us, when we think of God being like our king, then that's like a little uncomfortable for most of us because we don't know what it's like to have a king. We don't like the idea of having someone that is like the ultimate authority over us, but we we deal with that. I want to talk about God being our father, though. The reason I say that that's comforting, but also maybe uncomfortable for some is because it's, it sounds great to have a father. I mean, that sounds very, it's, it just sounds wonderful. You know, like God is our father. But also, it depends on how you grew up. Because for some people, it's like, that's a little weird. Like, I don't know what that's like. Um, is he like my father? Because that's not good. You know, some of us have different thoughts like that. Or other people, we come up with a great father. And so we think, oh, God is just like him. And then all of a sudden we realize, well, maybe he's not just like the father that I think is so wonderful. That gives me everything I want. That never corrects me that doesn't set expectations too high for me or anything, well, we need to be careful because sometimes that can disappoint us. Because when we look at how God is a father, sometimes we see he doesn't give us everything we want. He gives us everything we need. Sometimes we see that he challenges us and things like that. I want to talk about this because I think that we need to understand how important it is that we accept that God is our father. And I think it's also important for us to, to know what that means for us, the confidence and the comfort that we can have in our lives knowing that we have God as our father. Here's just a few quotes that uh, from two people. I have no idea who they are and one person that I know who they are because it's probably the only book that I ever read front to cover, uh, front to back when I, was, when I was in school. That you don't choose your family. They're God's gift to you and you are to them. That's true that you don't choose your family. I don't know about them always being God's gift to you. It doesn't feel like that sometimes. And uh, you might not be a very good family member, so uh, maybe you're not a gift to them either. I don't know. Uh, but it is true. You don't choose your family. Another one, we don't get to choose our parents, and parents don't get to choose their children. But we do get to choose how hard we're willing to work in order to make the best of what we're given. That's a nice way of thinking that maybe, not, maybe it's not always that great, but you, you work the best at it. You, know, you try the best you can. I'm sure that at times parents are not uh, very happy that they don't get to just like change and say, let's go back in time and let me just like 
boop, let me make this one alteration in who you are as, a, as my child and everything's good. And I'm sure that children sometimes are like, if I go back in time, I could change my, my mother, my father just a little bit, like that'd be wonderful. We don't get to choose that. We don't get to plan that out. We don't get to change that. And the one that I'm kind of, kind of familiar with is from a book. It says you can't, you can choose your friends, but you show, I'm gonna read it exactly how, it's, how it says. You can, you can choose your friends, but you show can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. It's from To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> Only book I read front to, front to back, I think. Uh, I took a lot of tests on books that I said I read, but I didn't read them. But that one I remember reading at least once. You know, those are so true. Like we, we choose the people we surround ourselves with, our friends. And sometimes we call them our family, but our blood, uh, we, we, we don't choose that. We have no choice in that. We are born into whatever we're born into. And as parents, the person that you have as your child, you didn't choose that. You, you, you made that person. You had a lot to do with who that person is, but you didn't just choose that. And that's for better or worse sometimes. I want to start in John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. The first point I just want to bring out is that God has made it very clear that he wants to have a family, that he wants to have many sons and daughters. He's provided a path for that. He's made very clear that that's what he wants. And let's begin in John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he, will come after, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we see here that it's very clear that God wants to have a family. He made a point to provide a path for all people to come to him. What it takes is verse 12 is all who receive him, who believe in his name. He gives this right or this opportunity, this privilege to become children of God. Through his beloved son, he wants to have many sons and daughters. Not just sons of God, as in sometimes it's talked about like angels or sons of God, where they're just ministering spirits. But he wants to have people that, that believe in him, that receive Christ, and that will follow him. He wants people to become his children. Not all people do that, though. We can't just look around and say, everybody is a child of God. We're, we're all made in his image, but that doesn't mean we're a child of God. It makes it very clear here that that is only through Christ that we have that. And actually, Jesus says in Luke 18 that it takes being childlike in order to receive God's kingdom. That we need to have a childlike heart, a childlike disposition towards Christ and towards hearing him. We need to be people that have trusting hearts and an honest faith. That's what it's going to take from us. So we see God is going to accomplish this through Christ. And we will receive this by being childlike in how we hear Christ and how we accept him. I want to go to 1 John chapter 2. If you want to hold your place in John 1, we're going to come back here in a little bit. But let's go over to 1 John chapter 2. The same writer in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 28 and go through uh, chapter 3 verse 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28. And now little children... 
abide in him so that when he appears, it's talking about Jesus, abide in Jesus so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So here I think we see the scope of, of God's love. That God's love is so great and so grand that it is an open invitation for all, and he will pluck us from out of the world to be his child. But we also see how personal it is because it is for anyone. It is for any person. We need to appreciate how great and grand God's love is and how it just spans all time and goes through all people. But we also need to see how personal that is for us that, oh, he wants me to be his child. Like I can be called a child of God and a son of God. And you can, become a, you can be called a son or a daughter of God. But again, it takes this honesty, this, this uh, trusting heart like a child. I think also what we see here is, is that God knows the, those that are his. And he knows those that are his because he's known by those that are his. So we can know if we are God's because we know him. And he knows that we are his because we know him. So we are the people that receive Christ. We believe in him. We've accepted him. We follow him. And then we can know we are his child. Well, this might be something that is super comfortable for you. You might say, okay, I, I know that. I know what it means to be a child of God. That's very comforting. Um, but the process that God, that God uses to accomplish this is a little bit different, I think. Let's go back to John 1. And maybe you noticed this, and I didn't emphasize it on purpose, but maybe you notice one little phrase or word that it says. Because it doesn't just say that God snaps fingers and this happens. It makes it pretty clear that there's, uh, there's something that is contingent on this. So if you look at verse 12 of John 1, it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God to become children of God. God gives us the privilege and the power to be his child. And it seems like that's, that's connected to receiving Jesus and believing in him, but that it's not necessarily the same thing. Because if it was the same thing, then why would it just be the right to be a child? Why would they not already be a child? So it's almost like God presents the opportunity and then he gives you the right to choose. And then it's on us. What will we choose? Now, this goes against a lot of things that some of us have been studying and some of us have been dealing with in some of our studies where some people just don't believe that it's on us at all, that we don't have a choice in any of this. But God gave us the right. He doesn't force it. He, get, he gives us the power to be a child of his. He gives us the privilege. There's some other words that maybe that we, we would use to describe this or some definitions of what he means when he says this. And some things that I looked up that, that were helpful for me is that the same thing when he says the right is the same thing as the authority or the power. It's the power of choice. It's given, it's, it means that we are given the ability to choose and then to exercise power. So that is the right God has given us. God has empowered each person with the ability to choose. Will you be his child or not? 
So here's the comforting thing about that is that, all right, so I know what God has done. Now I understand what I can do and what I should do, which is I should choose to exercise that right God has given me and be his child. Here's the like uncomfortable part of that. That means I can choose to not be his child. That means I can reject him. I can say, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for giving me this right, but I don't want it. And there's some of those things in our country that I don't want those rights. Like I I have the right to vote, but sometimes maybe we don't want to exercise that right for whatever reason. Not going to get into any possible reason, but that does exist. We say, thank you. I appreciate that, but maybe I don't want that. But just think about how great this is. Like God says, here is the right. What will you do with it? And then he leaves it up to us to say yes or no. We have this power to become his child, not that we already are his child. And if you look at John 1 verse 11, we already read, it seems pretty clear. It says that his own does not receive him. And I don't think that's just a future thing. It's like his own and this present, they are not receiving him, right? And what he means is his own is I think he means the people that are like him. Maybe that's just mankind, but maybe it's more specifically the Jews. His own people did not receive him. They did not believe in him. So even though they had the right to be a child of God, they don't become a child of God because they don't receive his son. So receiving Jesus is the acceptance of him. It's the listening to him, the hearing him, and that leads to the right to become a child. And then we are changed. So because as a child, now we live a different life. We don't have to prove anything uh, after the fact. I mean, this is something that has already happened, right? But because we are a child of God, we live a certain way. I wanted to look at what, how Paul describes this. So let's go over to Galatians chapter 4. The idea of being given the right to do this, that, that, that sounds nice. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's very comforting for you. But I want to look at something that might be a little bit uncomfortable for us. Uh, and, and, or maybe, maybe you really appreciate this idea. So in Galatians chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 4. Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Paul says here that we receive adoption as sons. I have several friends that have adopted over the last couple of years. It's a beautiful thing. They're cute babies, and I'm sure they would have made cute babies by themselves, but like we know these are cute babies. They got to, you know, I can, I can see these. And, um, you know, they, they have their own personalities, and, and it seems like they take on the personality of the parent, for better or worse. And, but also, they're, they're, they're different. They're unique. And you could tell they, they kind of stand out because you could just tell that they're not the same. I do have one friend who they adopted a little boy, and if you told me that that is his biological son, I would believe it. I mean, he just looks so much like them. Do you know that one of the beautiful things about us being children of God is that we are conformed to this image of his son. And although we look a little different from each other, we are all part of his family. We are all one under God. We are all his children. As different as we look, as, as different as sometimes we act, as long as it's not against what the image of the Son is, which is holiness and righteousness. 
That we look differently, we act differently, we think differently, but yet we're all considered children of God. And I'll tell you, that's just a powerful thing. The way I've always thought about it is that like, the adoption papers have been written since the day that Christ raised from the dead. For every person that would ever live, it's, it's just there. The right is there. The ability, the opportunity is there. All we have to do, we're the ones that we sign off on it ourselves. Isn't that kind of a weird thing that like a child signs off on their own adoption papers? (laughs) Saying, yes, I choose to be called your son or daughter. When I was, I think, 19 or 20, my stepdad set me down and he said, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, all right, this is weird, but all right. And he said, you know, you don't have to do this, but just because it's easier when it comes time for the will and for other things like that. I wanted to see if you would want to take on my name. I was a 20 year old and I was like, uh, I'm not gonna change my name at this point. Um, that, was a, that was an odd feeling. And I started thinking about the implications of that. And well, that means that people are gonna have to call me something different. People are gonna know me by something different. It's gonna change a lot of things, but it's not gonna change anything about who I am. Well, you know, that's actually, n- kind of similar to how sometimes we approach this adoption with God. It's like, oh, I'm going to take on this name. I'm going to be called a Christian. I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to do all this, but it's not going to change anything about me. And that's just not how it works. You see, when we're adopted by God, when we actually say, yes, I want that, it changes everything about us. It changes our very identity to our very core. And it's not just because, well, for legal purposes, it's easier if you go ahead and take this name. No, it's, it's like changes everything we are to our very core. And to choose to do that as an adult can be very uncomfortable, especially if you grew up where everything is okay. And I'm not trying to, to separate uh, people and say that, okay, well, you have it easier than other people or anything, but just think for a second about not having a father at all. Like growing up and having a terrible father. I look up songs to try to find, not, not hymns, but just songs and pop culture to see if there are any good songs about uh, being brought up in like a broken home or you know, a fatherless home, things like that. There were a few good ones. I'll tell you, most of them, very terrible songs, like highly inappropriate, a lot of angst, a lot of anger. And that kind of confirmed what I was already thinking. That for some of us, this feeling of not ha- having a father or not feeling like we belong, it creates something within us that is really terrible. I was watching a movie the other day, and it wasn't a terrible movie, but there was this one part that really stood out that I had never noticed before. So there's this guy who, he's, he's a young man, he was, grew up pretty troubled in and out of uh, kind of the system, and he was always getting in fights, always you know feeling like he had something to prove, and you know someone said something negative to him or bad about him, I mean, he's just going to go off on him. But then he grows up, and he still has that problem. But he's a little bit controlled. It's like contained a little bit more. He knows how to hide it, basically, is all it is. And then at the climax of this whole movie and everything, it's like, why is he acting this way? What are you trying to prove? Like, just you have nothing left to prove. What's going on with you? What's wrong with you? And he just says, i got to prove I'm not a mistake. Because he brought up where his father had an affair and all this stuff with his mom and everything. And it's just like this whole thing is trying to prove that I belong. I have a place. I'm not a mistake. And the way it showed itself, it was just in terrible ways. 
And I think about a friend of mine when I was growing up. And I don't know if he considered himself a mistake, but broken home, all that kind of stuff. He was always trying to prove something. He's always trying to prove he was just as good as every other friend he had that was brought up in a Christian home, right? And he was trying to prove that he was trustworthy, trying to prove that he was this and that, that he was just like them or even better, you know, that he can speak, that he can, he's talented, that, you know, he's worthy. And, you know, when you are always trying to prove something like that, you always, always wind up proving that actually you're just very insecure and you feel like you don't have a place. And the beautiful thing with God is that we don't have to prove that we have a place with him. He just says that we do. We don't have to prove that we're accepted by him. He makes it clear that we are accepted by him. And I know a lot of Christians that are always trying to prove that I'm a child of God. And the way they prove that is, let me show you my righteousness. Let me prove this to you by lording it over you, by showing you how much I know, by showing you how, greater, how much greater I am. Where the real way that we prove that we're God's child is by serving, by reflecting his love, things like that. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1 from a reading that Richard read earlier, Ephesians 1. I want to reread just a few of these verses and then skip down a little bit later on in Ephesians 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. God sent his son so that we might be daughters and sons through adoption by the redeeming power of Jesus' blood, just like the song we sang a little bit ago. We are redeemed. That is what we are. We don't have the right or ability, ability to do this until God made it possible. We, we see in chapter 2 that our sin stands in the way of this. But even in spite of our sin, God provides this path. God makes us alive because we are participating in the blood of Christ. Because we're baptized into Christ like we, like we studied this morning in our class. So now we are brought alive and now we are born again and we are refreshed. We are made new. We are participating in the adoption as sons and daughters. And as Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 say, now we can sit at the right hand, or excuse me, we can sit next to the Son in all of His glory. We have this inheritance. We, we are true heirs with Christ, or of Christ. But what does that mean for us? Well, I think what that means is that we have a reason to, to be at peace, to take comfort, and to have great confidence in our Father. We have a reason to, to be able to be okay and feel like we belong because God doesn't make mistakes. 
Like that guy in that movie, he wanted to prove that he wasn't a mistake. Look, if we're a child of God, God doesn't make mistakes. If we are adopted into his family, then that is something that God has designed. He has planned this out. When it says he's predestined us, and later on it says it's his plan, we need to understand that this is a wonderful thing that proves how wise and, and amazing God is. That this is his design and is premeditated. It was a calculated thing that God has done. That he predestined this whole process. That God wants to be our father and that it's not a mistake. That he never makes a mistake. There's no feeling of rejection or exclusion in God's family. Even if we feel like you've been a part of this family a little longer than I am. Look, when, under the side of God, like if you're his, you're his. And that's just a wonderful feeling. You don't have to think, well, I've been a part of this family a little longer. Like, I'm a biological uh, son, and you're just adopted. So, like, we are all adopted. None of us were born into this thing. Not born as in, well, he says that we are born again into it. But we're not born into this where, where, like, the Jews thought of themselves against the Gentiles. That's the whole thing. That whole wall is broken down, and we know that from Galatians. We don't have to work extra hard to prove anything to him or to any one of our brothers and sisters. But we do our best. We do our best to keep his word. We do our best to prove and to present ourselves to God without shame by doing what children do. And that's follow the Father. So I just want to draw a few conclusions real quick. And there were, there were a lot of other things I thought about going through. Like he, he mentions here in verse 14 of Ephesians 1 that we have the Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. In Romans 8, we understand there's confidence in our adoption through his Spirit and our Spirit. Like he knows something and we know something. We have confidence in that. Because he has confidence in us. And also the, just the idea that if we live and, and, and find our life in the spirit, we walk by his spirit, which means we're going to be keeping his word. All of those things are true. Jesus talks in John 8 to some people and says, your works prove who you are, who your father is. You're, you're of your father, the devil. And if you would just prove yourself to be a child of God, then you would be proving yourself, to, then, then your works would follow that. So I think that there's plenty of other avenues we could go down, but I just want to draw a few conclusions. That our purpose is to show how great our Father is. Like, that, that's our purpose as his children. You look at Ephesians 2, verse 7, and he says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Who does that benefit? The fact that we've gone from being dead in our sins to alive in God through grace and faith, who, who does this benefit that he lavishes these immeasurable riches upon us? Well, it, it benefits us, obviously. But who is he showing it to in verse 7? I think he's showing it to everybody. He's, he's showing something. He's showing us off to the world, saying, look at my children. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to show you off to the world, saying, this is what a child of God looks like. This is how wonderful it is to be called a son and daughter of God. So what, what do we need to do? Well, we need to be people that are thankful that are grateful to be part of that family, that sing the praises of the Father all day long. You ever seen someone who just seems like they're, they're really disappointed and they're kind of embarrassed of who their parents are? <laughs> and I, I remember going to some people's houses when I was younger. I, I mean, I was pretty connected with uh, the church that I was a part of, and that just meant that I went to all my friends' houses and just took advantage of the fact that their parents were, were super gracious and got to spend the night over there, play games, I'm sure we kept their parents up all the time, eat the wonderful food, all that stuff. And, you know, there, there were some, uh, some of my friends who, like, the way they would act about their family was just kind of like, oh, my goodness, you know. Oh. And I just remember thinking, I mean, they're great. Look what they're doing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that was a little selfish. I mean, that's, that's kind of how a child can be. But in some way, I think that's what we're supposed to be as well. Like, we're supposed to see how, we're supposed to make sure people see how great it is to be part of the family of God. We're supposed to invite more to come to the Father. We're supposed to remind each other of how great our Father is. We're supposed to correct each other when we aren't keeping His word. Like, we need to keep each other in line and say, hey, you know, that's not what God says. Like, I would do that with my brother, but in a really harsh way. In a loving way, we're supposed to do that for each other. But sometimes it comes across harsh to correct somebody and say, you're not doing what God says. You're not doing what our Father expects. But we're also supposed to, at the same time, say, let's remember how great it is. How great it is just to be part of this family. If we find our home, if we find that our home is only with God, then we'll never want to leave. Like if we appreciate how good it is to have God as our Father, we'll never want to leave Him. It's only when we had this little angst. We're trying to prove something to ourselves, to him or to others. But then all of a sudden that la- we lash out. And I think we all know some people who have done that. We all know people that have turned their back on God. That at one point they were appreciative of him being their father, but at some point they just said, I can't take this anymore. I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. Look, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. All you have to do is keep in step with the father. Like I, I, and then the wonderful thing is that I remember growing up that the way that my stepdad would talk to me, I felt it was so harsh and the things he would say, I just, I was like, why do you have to talk to me that way? But maybe, maybe some of you can relate to that. I just don't see God talking to us that way. Like, I, I don't see that in scripture that when he makes instruction clear and plain, that it's not with some sort of like mean and, and just like, you're an idiot kind of thing, you know, stupid. Why don't you do this? I shouldn't have said idiot or stupid. Sorry, there's a child in the room. But he doesn't speak to us that way. He just wants, his, he wants his, the expectations to be clear. But don't get it twisted. Like, if, if we don't do what the Father says, we will be corrected. We will be admonished and rebuked. That's what we have each other for. We're not supposed to be this, these older siblings that lord it over each other, but we are supposed to correct each other. As someone who grew up never knowing or meeting or really knowing anything about my biological dad, I would just say that the idea that God wants to be my father, it just means so much. And he doesn't force me to it. He invites me to it. But he's going to make sure that I understand exactly what that means. And he's going to make sure I know that I have the right to be his child. So why would you ever leave? I don't care if you grew up with a great dad or a terrible one or or none at all. Our God is a great God, but our God is a great father. So let's not leave him. If you are here and you're not a Christian, you're not part of God's family, you have the right. You have the privilege and you have the power. And he invites you. Or if you're a child and you've been living a little bit of a rebellious life, look, I think we all know what that, what that is like. We all know why we do that. Stop rebelling against the Father. He loves you so much. And he just wants you to be part of his family. He wants to draw you home one day. But that's only going to be those that live like children of God. And if you need help, if you need to study, if you need to prayers, whatever it is, this church is here for you. We're going to sing a song that William's going to lead us in to remind us and cause us to think and reflect on where we stand before God at this time. And if you are subject 
and you need to make something right or need prayers, let us know.